Welcome to the latest edition of the UK Basketball Hub. I'm Tom Lane, your host, taking us through lockdown by speaking to senior figures within British basketball history and present as well. Uh, in this edition, we speak to Donna Finney. Um, she became the first international ever to land a head coaching position in the NCAA Division One basketball. That was back in 2013. It's now been seven years, so we speak to her about her time in the States. She also managed Scotland's youth teams as well. Uh, some 10 odd years ago uh, so we spoke to her about that as well and here's what she had to say I didn't actually know anything about basketball until I went to high school I had played netball in primary school and ran with an athletics club you know was swimming a lot but when I got to high school I think it was the first week of school one of the RPE teachers had played basketball for Scotland and Great Britain and was a volleyball player too and he was very into trying to encourage girls to play and he was the one that said hey I want you to come try for the basketball team well I'd never played but I kind of got into it through high school and I'm another teacher of mine there she was part of the Scotland setup at the time and was also coaching a club team that was based out of our school so I kind of fell into it through that through high school and I was really lucky that I had those two who were pushing me to kind of stay involved and quite quickly got you know, into the national under 15 team as it was at the time and was playing senior club ball with that club team. And it literally just took me away from every other sport. You know, I, I was doing so many other things. And then when I started playing basketball, it just felt right. It, it felt like this is what I was supposed to do. And I loved it. I gave up everything else, I think, by my second year in high school. And yeah, never looked back after that. And it's honestly taken you quite far you went to Lamar University to play. What was what was that like and how, how was that journey? You know, that was a really interesting journey for me. And, and ultimately, I, I really believe it's led me to where I am now because when I went over to play in the States, there were very few girls you know, or guys that were were going over to the States to play um, at that time. And so we didn't really know too much about the process. And, you know, nowadays there's so many people helping out and there's information you can access online about schools, about programs, about coaches. That wasn't really freely available when I went. You know, in retrospect, probably should have done some more research and wish that I'd kind of had someone giving me advice on the other side. But it was an incredible experience for me. I mean, most kids dream of playing college basketball when you're overseas. That's the goal. You know, you want to play in the States, you want to play Division One basketball. And um, I remember getting off the plane and exhausted and kind of excited. But, but we went that first night to play pickup with our teammates. And just, you know, the feeling of, wow, is this really happening? You know, this is walking into the arena and seeing, you know, where we were going to play. And it was it was a really surreal feeling but an incredible journey and you know I still stay in touch with a lot of the teammates that I had there and some of them are now coaching which has led to me being able to make connections with club teams in their various countries and it it, it was such an invaluable experience for me as a player but it really shaped what I wanted to do because I think it was at that point that I really felt like I wanted to move into coaching like when I left there to go back home that was kind of my decision to get involved as a coach and I think that was you know the most valuable thing I'll take from my time there. What sort of level was your kind of aim to play at um, and, and was there a pathway to get there? Yeah I mean I, 
like I say, everybody thinks like, wow, you know, I want to, I want to play division one basketball. That's my dream. And I guess, you know, for me, it was tough because in the high school I was at, there weren't really any other girls that were taking it as seriously as I was. And, you know, some of them played for fun, but for me, I was the only one who really was serious about trying to push myself to be at the top of the game. And, you know, when I, when I finished high school, I was playing in a, a four countries tournament in Doncaster. And that's actually where I got recruited from to, to go to Lamar. I guess the assistant coach had, had been looking at a girl on the English team and I happened to have a really good tournament that weekend. And, you know, I was given the opportunity through that and through some people with Scottish basketball who had also mentioned me to the coach. And then I was given the opportunity to go to Lamar and I was lucky that I had two other teammates that went with me at the same time and so we had uh, eight international players on our team that year that I was across there and I think you know in terms of a pathway I was given every opportunity as a player because I had so much support around me and I'm really grateful for that support when I was playing because you know I had my PE teachers who you know I still to this day credit them for introducing me to basketball and making me, you know, fall in love with the game. But they encouraged me every step of the way and I still stay in touch with them sporadically and, you know, they were both big influencers on on me. But, you know, I also stay in touch with my club coaches and I think that was where really I felt like I got the most support in order to go and play overseas. And Dave Patterson, who was uh, one of my club coaches, really was the one that kind of made me realize I could do it. I mean, he was very, very hard on me. And I joke with him to this day about how hard he was on me. But it was almost like he knew that if you stick with this, you're going to be able to do it. And um, he toughened me up for sure. And you need to you need to have that if you're going to go and play overseas, because it is tough. You're away from your family and you're being pushed to limits that you've never seen before. And so Dave was the one that really kind of helped me prepare for that step. And, and it still wasn't easy, but I know a lot of the things that he was doing when I was playing in his club group were preparing me for, for that step. You mentioned previously, I guess, going back a little bit, uh, playing for the national team at a youth level, kind of under 15s. Did that mean a lot to you to represent the national team at that youth level? Oh, yeah. I mean, I still remember, you know, those tournaments that we played in. There's nothing better than standing there and hearing, you know, and sometimes for us, it was singing our national anthem. But I mean, even to this day, you know, obviously, I have an assistant coach who I coached and played with the Scottish team and the GB team. And we both talk about, you know, you stand and you listen to the Star Spangled Banner And there's some days that you just wish you were here in Flower of Scotland, you know, because there is a pride when you when you hear your national anthem and and pulling on that jersey. It's very special. It's a very different feeling. And I was lucky enough to feel that both as a player and a coach. It's absolutely the same thing as a coach. You know, you still have that pride when you're standing there and representing your country. And I miss it. I mean, I really do miss being involved with our national teams because being at the European Championships is both as a player and a coach is such a special experience that not many people get get to have and it was just you know an incredible part of my journey you obviously went on to coach and you're coaching now what was the transition like between playing and coaching and when did it come about that you thought this was something that you could get into yeah like when i when i returned from the states and i was finishing up my degree at harriet watt and 
I was helping the local basketball development officer at that time uh, with running kids camps and, you know, 3v3 tournaments. And um, I got involved with a club team in Edinburgh. And then I was asked to be an assistant coach for the under-16 national team. Uh, They really wanted a younger female because it was an all-male staff and they wanted someone that they felt like they could develop and kind of pass things on to when they were ready. I was really excited to do that because obviously, you know, I had been in their shoes and I felt like, you know, I had some different experiences having been in the States and I had gone through my coaching certificates and I felt like this was something I really was passionate about. I wanted to let these girls see that if they wanted to go somewhere else, not necessarily the States, but, you know, if they wanted to think bigger, they could because I had done it, a couple of my teammates had done it and I wanted to be that role model for them so that they were pushing themselves, you know, like they were realizing that there's so many choices for them and basketball can take them so many places. I was really lucky because the coach that was in charge of the under-16 team at the time, Arthur Maguire, was fantastic with me. I mean, he, he really helped make me see what was important in coaching. He stressed fundamentals, but he stressed the right kind of communication as well. I really learned a lot from Arthur and uh, working with him. When he said he was retiring and that I was ready, I did not feel I was ready. I, I mean, I still remember having that conversation being like, I'm not ready. Like, this is too early for me. You know, I think I was really lucky because he had basically passed on all the, all the key things that he felt I needed to know in order to prepare me. And, you know, again, very thankful for him and for the other coaches that I had played for leading up to getting into coaching and being a first-time head coach because I took pieces of, from all of them And that's really kind of what shaped me as a coach um, and started my national team journey, which is really why I ended up over here because of what I did with the national teams for 10 years. How do you uh, see the the appetite for basketball in Scotland? Because it seems to have quite a, I guess, uh, not necessarily small, but I guess unique appetite for the sport. Yeah, I mean, like, since I've been over, it's it's been 10 years now since I moved uh, from Scotland over to Texas. And, um, you know, I've tried to kind of keep an eye on what's what's going on. And and obviously, I I watch particularly the girls' side more so. But what strikes me, having moved over here and, and seen it from a different angle now, is just how passionate the people in the clubs are in Scotland. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I think when you're in it, you don't appreciate as much the people. There are some really incredible people working in clubs in Scottish basketball that are volunteers and, you know, just do it for the love of the game. And I think, you know, when you're working on the side of it that I am now where there's scholarships involved and there's, you know, salaries involved. And I get frustrated sometimes because I think that a lot of people forget why they're doing it. And I think, you know, watching what's happening in Scottish basketball, there's people there that are doing it because they love the game. They're not doing it for money. They're not doing it for a scholarship. They're not doing it for any other reason other than they love the game of basketball. And I think that's why people are so enthused to get involved and they're able to get young people involved in their clubs because, you know, they see the true passion they have. You know, there's some great models and I obviously was involved with City of Edinburgh, but, you know, looking at what they've done in the last, you know, five to 10 years and how they've grown, just remarkable that people are giving up their time to help develop youngsters and give them 
an in and a pathway into this sport. Why wouldn't you want to go and play for a club who are full of people who are just so passionate about the game? And I see that across the country and in England. And I think it's, it's a huge reason why people want to get involved in this sport. You talk about the development of them young players in, in clubs in Scotland. Was that something that, that meant something personally to you, having worked at the kind of under-18, under-16 level uh, with the Scottish youth sides? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was lucky because I was actually coaching an under-16 club team while I was doing the under-16 the under national team. Um, so I was able to see the players in the National League, obviously, that I was selecting at the time. But, you know, I had a pretty good relationship with those club coaches and, and that really helps, you know, because, you know, I think I definitely had a, a different way of doing things than some of the, the other previous national team coaches had done things and I definitely remember again a little bit of stick initially about how much I wanted the girls to put into you know preparing for our tournaments I think I probably demanded a lot more of their time than previously had happened and but for me I had been over here and I was training every day and I was in the weight room and was like I saw how much time you have to put into this in order to perfect your craft and you know, I just wanted these girls to have the best opportunities that they could have. And so having good relationships with the club coaches was really important to me. And I think just understanding that we're all in this to help these kids and, and to give these kids opportunities. And, you know, I think it was really important for me while I was coaching over there that the club coaches did understand that we were going to look after these players, but we were going to try and make them better at the same time. And I think they all understood that and were very supportive. And I was really grateful for that. You previously mentioned the transition between assistant coach for Arthur Maguire and then getting the full-time role. How long do you think it took for you to feel comfortable within that sort of position? It's ironic. I'm looking at, I've got a picture here in my house and someone had given me it a few years ago and it's from our, it was the first time we played a full international when I was head coach and it was against England in what used to be called the Dobbin Cup. I remember that that one particularly because it was obviously the first time as a head coach but also because of the way we played. Everything was kept very simple that first year. I remember Arthur was telling me you know like strip everything down, keep it simple, get your message across cross like focus on the things you want to focus on don't do too much and and I, and I remember going into that game like honestly petrified thinking like this is the first time everything's on me and you know my gosh but that having this strange sense of calm hit me during the game you know we played really really great basketball that day ended up winning and I really think that that game and that group of girls gave me the confidence and and pushed me on to be like yeah like this is really what I, I'm ready for this now you know because we'd had some you know prep games before that and training camps etc and I definitely was still feeling a little bit nervous that maybe I wasn't ready for this and you know was I going to be able to do it when it came down to it in crunch time but during that game it was just like everything just clicked and and felt right and you know, those girls, that group of girls that I had, a couple of them came over here and played in the States and I still stay in touch with a lot of them. And they they definitely were the group that made me really passionate about continuing my coaching career because, you know, and I often wonder, would I would I have continued had that group not been the group they were? Because it it definitely makes a difference when you have a group like that that are so cohesive and want to give everything they've got it makes coaching so much more enjoyable so you know you sometimes look back and think like 
would things have gone the way they did if that first group hadn't been the way they were? Um, so I'm really very thankful to them for how easy they were to coach and how much they bought in. I mean, they bought into everything I asked them to do, even when, you know, they probably thought like, why, am, why is she doing this? But um, they did it. And, you know, I'm really grateful to them for that. You obviously had a lot of success with uh, these teams. I think was it you were the, the first head coach to win consecutive FIBA tournaments and also the first Scottish female coach to win a, a FIBA tournament. Did that mean a lot to you to win them tournaments? And did you know at the time any of this sort of statistics about being the first to do so? I didn't know. I didn't know at the time, no. I mean, I, I remember, and I think, you know, it's ironic we have this, group on Facebook now that I was added to and it's a Scottish basketball look back on the years and uh, someone had posted about uh, that first win that we had and with the under 18 national team and I look back to that and it's still just the most incredible tournament I mean it was just you know we played in the semi-final and flawless basketball I mean just unbelievably well and then didn't I didn't sleep a wink that night because I knew that had we peaked too early was was that you know the best performance we could give I started questioning like oh gosh you know and then we went into the final and Rose Anderson who went on obviously to play uh with the 2012 team she about I think a month earlier while we were in Barcelona had missed two free throws at the end of the game to win a game for us and I remember her sat outside and she was just distraught you know like really angry at herself for missing those free throws and and I said to her, you know, well, that's it. You know, you've this is your trial run. It won't happen again kind of thing. Then all of a sudden we're in this situation to win the final and Rose Anderson's on the free throw line. And it was kind of surreal, you know, that that was how it was scripted. And, and she made the first one and they called a timeout. And I remember telling everybody not to talk to her because, again, like, you know your players and Rose needed that time just to kind of compose herself. And I was speaking with the other four kids that were on the court at the time and we left her to herself on the bench and she came back out and she missed the second shot. We were still down at that time. I think there was only about four seconds left on the clock, but luckily, you know, one of our captains chased the ball down, threw it back in bounds. The other one passed it to Rose and she made a layup and we won on the buzzer and it was like just a an incredible incredible moment and I think you know gave those girls a lot of belief and and in that team I had two girls who were very very young um, but very talented and um, they ended up playing with me the following year with the under 16 team and we ended up winning that next year again and for me I mean those tournaments were great you won't ever forget those moments but in my mind it was like well does this really mean anything? Because we were going into those tournaments and we were beating teams comfortably. And then we would play maybe one or two games where we had a challenge. You know, we lost a couple of games to Luxembourg and to someone else, I think, the year previously, but we ended up still winning the tournaments. And for me, I wanted I wanted the challenge, but I wanted the girls to be challenged because I didn't want them thinking that they were the best because my perspective was, you know, well, yeah, this is Euro C level. So does that mean anything and that's why you know I went and we had a conversation at Basketball Scotland about trying to go to the Division B level because I felt like at that point we could continue to play at the C level but are we really being challenged and you know it was definitely a lot more work to prepare for the B level and financially um, and physically but I think those tournaments 
whilst obviously we didn't win them and we didn't win many games, you know, we would win two, sometimes three games at those tournaments. They challenged us in so many more ways. And for me as a coach, I was definitely challenged more. But those players, it gave some of those players opportunities. I mean, some of them that played over here at the Division One level, you know, they got that opportunity because of being seen against that level of competition. And so, sure, we didn't win those tournaments, but I think we all gained a lot more from playing against better teams and that was always in my psyche like I I didn't want to play teams we were going to run over I wanted to play against much better opposition and it was of so much value to those players as well what what are the key memories that you have from from your time coaching in Scotland at that period and and do you miss it I definitely miss it you know I I think you know I've touched on the fact that I know that these girls they love the game and I think when you're involved on this side of the pond and there is this kind of question that creeps into your mind when you're recruiting, like, do they really love the game or are they doing this because this will pay for their schooling? And it's hard, you know, because when you recruit, you want to recruit players that will buy in and invest and, and it's hard to determine that. And, uh, you know, I want players on my team who love the game as much as I do. And, and I know that, When I was coaching in Scotland, I mean, those girls were not getting anything financially. They were paying to play for their country, but they would run through a brick wall. And I want those kind of players, you know, that are so bought in and so passionate about the game and their teammates. And I think that's part of what I miss the most about being involved with Scottish basketball is the passion that the players have for the team and for their teammates. I was so lucky to have such great groups of girls you know Rose obviously is one of the characters that I still stay in touch with I mean she actually lives in Tulsa Oklahoma now and she every time we play up there she comes to the games and we had a a really close one this year at ORU and she was there uh, behind the bench with her little boy and she was jumping up and down the same way she would have as a player we ended up winning on a three on the buzzer and Rose was just you know jumping around crazy (laughs) I had so many memories of her when I was coaching good and bad and I remember probably the best thing that could have happened is that Rose stayed in basketball and that she texted me the day that they they walked into the Olympic Village and I remember she she texted me she was just like I can't believe I'm here you know I'm walking into the Olympic Village I can't believe I'm here and I can't really repeat on air what she said word for word because those people that know Rose will understand it probably would get beeped out. But she was just so grateful. Like she thanked me. You know, I I stay in touch with her regularly and, and she, you know, was a big part of the teams that I had going through. But so many other players as well. I mean, Erin McGarrigan, that was, she actually played for me with the national team my last year of coaching with the national teams and was recruited to go and play at UTEP. Then when she was at UTEP, I got the job here. And then she ended up transferring and playing here at HBU. And so, you know, kids like her and Mary Buchan. And then obviously Becca Allison, who played for me under 16 and under 18 national team level. She also played with me in club. And then she went on to play with the GB team under 20s and went to Old Dominion, played there and came to their masters with me here as our graduate assistant and has now been on my staff for five or six years. And so the people are the reason that I miss it. You know, I was very lucky to have people like Becca and like Rose who are so passionate about the game and they want to give back. And um, 
that's the part I miss the most. But I'm very lucky, you know, that I do stay in touch with a lot of them. And that's great, you know, to reminisce. And, and I just enjoy seeing how they're doing as well, you know, and what they're doing with their lives. So, you know, if there, if there was an opportunity for me to stay involved, I would definitely have jumped at it. But it's just so hard now for me because this job is so full on. And yeah, I, I'm glad to see, though, that some former players are getting involved with the youth groups with British basketball. And, and I think that that can only be a good thing for those teams moving forward. From obviously your, your time in Scotland, how do you then transition over to, to the States? What's the kind of journey there? My journey, I guess, was a little bit different from most. And I say this all the time. I was just so lucky in every aspect of this. The timing for me was great. You know, I, because I had, I had actually brought our national team over here a couple of times to play in uh, summer tournaments and exposure camps, etc. Through that, I'd made a lot of connections with coaches in the U.S. who were trying to recruit Erin McGarrigan, Mary Buchan, Becca Allison, etc. So that relationship with coaches had started because of those players. I'm really big on communication and I, I just, you know, stayed in touch with a lot of those coaches over several years. I never actually had a conversation with any of them about me wanting to coach over here. That that didn't never came out of my mouth at that point in time because for the longest time it wasn't even in my thinking. And then the last couple of years I was in Scotland I had a couple of schools call me and say, would you like to, you know, would you consider um, coming over and, and being on our staff? And I was kind of like, wow, like I didn't even think about that at the time. And so I didn't really pursue those, those options the first year or so. And then I started thinking about it more and more. And I, I kind of felt like I needed the challenge. Like I was getting to the point that we'd been at Euro B several times. I didn't really know what else from my own coaching perspective I could do in order to push myself and then things just you know happened in my life and I felt like it was the right time and I got a phone call one Saturday night offering me an assistant position over here and I just, it just felt right it was like wow this this timing couldn't be better in Houston I, I really didn't know much about HBU honestly I had to go and do some research because I didn't know much about the school, but obviously had a lot of connections in the Houston area, having played at Lamar, which is only an hour and a half away and having some friends in this area. It just felt right. And so it was complete luck. I mean, everything just fit at the right time. And it took a little while for me to get over here with visa issues, et cetera. But 10 years ago, I moved over here um, for that assistant coach position. And I guess I'm still here. They're stuck with me now. So... (laughs) But it's, diff- you know, it is very, very difficult to make this move. And I know that, you know, I've talked with a lot of coaches in, in England in the last, and Ireland particularly, and the last kind of few months and who are trying to get over here and get coaching positions. And I mean, it, it's changed. The landscape has changed a lot over the last five or six years politically, obviously. And that has changed, you know, how difficult it is for people to get over here um, from an immigration standpoint. Last year at the Final Four, I put together an international coaches group and we met for the first time and I had hoped that we would meet again this year. Obviously, it didn't happen because the event was cancelled, but it was really interesting being in that room with all those coaches from all over the world. And I was the only coach that had come across directly for a coaching position. Everybody else had either been a player and transitioned to an ops role and then got an assistant position. Nobody had managed to actually make the jump as a coach. And I think 
part of that now is the how impossible it is to get the visa secured, but it is a lot easier to go down the ops route or the GA as they call it here, where they'll pay for your masters and you help in in various aspects of the team and then move into that assistant coaching role. But it, it's definitely something that I, I feel like I want to help people that are in that position. And, you know, since that meeting, we've had various conversations and two of the people have been going through green card process and been trying to help them with what I knew going through my process here. And a couple of others have been going through some issues that they've had um, with their contracts and immigration and again, trying to kind of help them. And I think there's so many great coaches overseas and particularly in the UK. I mean, I, I think there's some people that could do a great job over here. There's a couple of issues, the, the main one being immigration right now. And I hope that in years to come that changes and there's more flexibility and people are given the options that, that I was, you know, I was given. But at the moment, it's, it's really difficult to get over here in a coaching position. And so I, I'm keen to try and help as best I can with people. But I think until there's a change in leadership and, you know, there's some major immigration reforms, it's very, very difficult now to get over here. But I feel very lucky I was... <laughs> In the, in the time and in the position I was um, because um, I've had a great 10 years here and I'm excited about what lies ahead. In terms of your, your own journey, how difficult was it on a, on a professional and personal level to adapt to, to a different place and a different role? I think the biggest thing for me was just being away from my family. I'd forgotten, you know, when you're 19 and you're moving to another country and it's exciting, you're getting to play, you know, you're, you're around your peer group all the time. It's a lot it is a lot easier to transition honestly because you know everything's so exciting and you're doing something that you've dreamed of doing and whilst this was a dream come true for me coaching wise the transition is different when you're in your early 30s and you you know you're leaving your friends and family behind and you're going to another country on your own it's a different transition but I was lucky that I think you know two things one Houston is just such a a great city it's very diverse and there's so much to do and I think you know living in this city has definitely helped me but to the people at HBU I mean we're not a huge school so we only have just under 4,000 students on campus and uh, that integration helped I got to know people we've got some great coaches in other sports that I'm really good friends with and that has really helped me kind of transition to life over here being around like-minded people and having people that kind of helped me move and settle in. And it was tough being away from, you know, like I say, my friends and family, but it's what I really wanted to do. And I, I can't say I never have days that I'm homesick because I think players and coaches alike would, would agree that that happens. You know, it definitely happens. But, you know, I love living here and I love being in the position that, that I'm in. And so it wasn't easy, but it definitely worth it. How difficult is it to perform in the, the recruitment field? Obviously, you're, you're recruiting players from, from across the world to, to get involved in the sport. What was that experience like when you first got Interesting, because obviously I was on the other side of it. I was trying to help the girls from Scotland go and play over here. And I think that really helped me, actually, because, you know, when I was doing that, I, I was in touch with a lot of coaches for them on their behalf and was involved in their recruiting process. And the same way I did take things from every coach that I played for or worked with, I was picking up things from people over here too, you know, and that really helped me. And I, I think the biggest thing was just be completely transparent, you know, don't sell kids a lie. I mean, I, 
I go back to what I said about my experience at Lamar. I wish I'd done some more research. I wish that there'd be more information available because, you know, when we went to Lamar, we weren't told the truth. We weren't, I can say we were lied to. And so, you know, my thing is I want to be completely transparent with players when we're in the recruitment process. And I learned a lot of good things while helping some of the Scottish players be recruited over here. And I think, you know, what's interesting for me is when, when we recruit to HBU, the first thing that if I speak to a new coach for the first time, the first thing they ask is about my accent, obviously. And then a lot of people are just so intrigued by the fact that we have such a diverse roster. I mean, this year we have eight international players on the roster. And for a lot of Americans, that is very attractive because they want their players or their children, if I'm talking to parents, to be around different types of people and to hear about different cultures it's definitely attractive for a lot of people that we do have such a diverse roster. And, and I enjoy that I'm allowed to recruit from anywhere in the world. I mean, our AD is very supportive of that. And he's, uh, you know, he, he knows that we will recruit, first of all, good people and great students. And that's a big thing for us here at HBU. And uh, we're really proud of what we do academically as well as athletically. But we have to recruit great students here and we'll go anywhere across the world to get those. So. It's definitely a different process because when you're working with club basketball or even national team basketball in the UK, you don't recruit this way. I guess maybe the way I do it is different than some others, but I think every coach has their own way of um, recruiting players. And as I've kind of grown over the last 10 years, I think probably my recruiting pitch has changed a little bit, but you know, it doesn't go away from the fact that I want to be completely transparent with people from the start whether it's players, coaches, parents, grandparents, whoever it is that we're speaking with, because I want to recruit people to HBU to be here for four years. Like I want them to be here and um, enjoy their experience and graduate from here. And that's really important to me in this process. How did you go from assistant coach to the head coach? And what was that like as a, a jump? Yeah, I mean, it honestly came as a shock to me when that happened. So the, the previous head coach was moving on and the AD came to me and said he wanted to have a conversation. Typically what happens when a, when a head coach leaves, that means the staff is gone as well, you know. And, and I actually had had a couple of other positions that when I knew she was leaving, I had applied for a couple of other positions and um, had an interview set up for the following week. And then he met with me and basically said you know that they wanted to offer me the position and I was shocked <laughs> to say the least you know it was it was one of those things that kind of took me back to that point in time with Arthur where like am I ready for this and I remember having the conversation with our, our athletic director and I said I've never done this before though and then he reminded me you have you know and it may not have been in this way but you have done all these things before and I think back to the things that I learned in my job back home when I was working in events and I also was a basketball development officer for a long time. And a lot of the off-court things that we have to do as a head coach, you know, I had done, I mean, I could do my sleep from my old jobs. And I think those jobs that I did back home really, really helped me more than 
I really knew they would move in into that head coach role. I mean, managing a budget, which is so important now in college basketball, you know, because obviously, particularly this year with the coronavirus, you know, budget cuts, etc., being on top of things financially is important. Managing staff, which I'd had to do previously in my other two jobs, that is so underrated as to how important it is for a head coach to manage their staff. I mean, you know, I had some great people I worked with back in Scotland and I learned a lot from, you know, my superiors as well. Having to having to manage staff previously definitely helped me when I transitioned into that role. And then I think the biggest thing for me was organization. Being able to juggle things and plan was just, you know, that really has helped me hugely. And part of that really was having a full-time job and coaching with the national team and being able to juggle that and my own life, you know, outside of that, being organized and, and being able to do everything that I needed to do. And so I think my time back home really prepared me for, for the jump more than I, I kind of realized initially because I was really nervous about it. It was like, wow, this never happens. Am I ready for this? Um, and then when I got into, you know, moving into that seat 12 inches to the left, it was like, oh no, you know, I've done this before. I can do this. And so, I mean, it, it was kind of a similar feeling. Like once I got into it and I remember our first division one game that we played when I was head coach and those same nerves were there, but by the end of the game, which we won, you know, it was like, okay, you know, I can settle down now. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a jump, but I think all those things that I did back home really prepared me for it. And that's why I, you know, I always say that my experiences in Scotland helped me tremendously for the position I'm in. And, and that's why I believe there's a lot of people in the UK that could be very, very successful as coaches over here if they can get the opportunity. And I suppose in some ways your, your transition to head coach was helped by your success on the court. The 2013-40 season, your first season, uh, you won the most games in, in team history uh, since the transition yeah. to the first division. Yeah, and I think, you know, like that group that I had, I mean, it's kind of ironic because when I took over as head coach, we only had one scholarship available. And we'd signed one girl out of Finland who had recruited and she was coming in as a freshman. And then we had one other scholarship available and we gave it to my now current assistant coach, Anna Strickland. And I just felt like we had recruited her out of high school when I was an assistant coach and she chose another school. And then she has some family issues that she wanted to move back to Texas and be closer to her mom and be closer to home. When this had come up previously with the previous head coach, she said, no, we're not taking her. She said, no, the first time, you know, we're not going to go back there. And, you know, I respected that she was the head coach. But then when I took over the position, there was something about Anna that I felt like we need her, you know, like we need her kind of player to kind of complete our puzzle. Looking back, how huge that decision was because, you know, Anna's first year playing with us, she had a solid year, but nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. But that next year we went to the conference championship and she was a huge part of that, a huge part of that. And that group with Erin McGarrigan and Maisie Elston, who also played uh, with the English under-18s, that group was a tremendous group and just, you know, had all the pieces. Um, and then the following year, Anna actually led the nation. So she led all of Division One in rebounding her senior year. And then she was second in double-doubles. She, she was someone that, that I just had a feeling about that was going to work out and was the right fit for us. And, and she was someone who, out of high school, 
had signed with the Division Two program, and you know ended up leading the nation in rebounding. And so, she's kind of the epitome of the right fit, finding the right fit when you're when you're picking a college and making sure you go somewhere that suits your style of play that is going to holistically fit you, but is going to help you be the best you can be. And for her, you know, she had a great career for us here, and now she's back as an assistant coach and. That group was definitely part of the reason that, you know, I was able to kind of stay in this position for as long as I have. And and having her back on staff is great. You talked about that SLC uh, championships final uh, that you that you coached to. Was that yeah. one of the kind of highlights of your, your time there uh, in your second season in charge? Anna, when Anna came back and we hired her, the reason she wanted to come back was she said, you know, I want a ring. Like we, we were right there and we didn't get it, but with this group, we're going to get a ring. And, you know, so there's a little bit of unfinished business there. And I think definitely a highlight, but also one of the biggest disappointments when you're that close to going to the NCAA tournament and six points and you don't make it. So it just gives you that, that fire to, to continue. And I mean, that's certainly my goal for our program is to make sure we get to the NCAA tournament. And, in our conference, that is something that, I mean, our conference is probably one of the strangest, I say that, because since I've been uh, the head coach at HBU, the number one seed has never gone to the NCAA tournament from our conference. And it's because our conference is so tight, you know, one through, gosh, one through 13, really, you know, on any given day can beat each other. I think that's what makes it a great conference to be in, because it's not dominated by one team. And so when you get to the the conference tournament there's always an opportunity to play for a championship and from a recruiting perspective it's a great league to be in in that position but I've had some other moments here that have just been incredible I think when we took our team to Australia for a pre-season tour in 2016 that was you know just an incredible experience being able to take the team down there and play six games and experience a different type of basketball you know that was fantastic I think there's so many things here I could pinpoint off the court too that have been you know with our players that have been key moments for me and you know I definitely feel like we've got unfinished business here and Ennis I mean I think from the outside looking in people are probably thinking like oh they're struggling to get wins on the court and that has to be a tough a tough position to be in and it is but I think there's also a realism that at the division 1 level there are so many levels within that I mean when we when we play our non-conference schedule and you know we go and play Baylor like we did this past year you know that that's that's opposite ends of the spectrum of division 1 right there and what they have and what we have is obviously very, very different. However, we both play on the same basketball court and we play at the same division level. And, you know, it's our job to try and prepare our team to be able to compete against the best. And I think that's what drives me is the same way when I was with the national team, I want to play against the best. And some people say we're crazy for playing against top five teams, but I think, you know, the outcome may be inevitable, but the challenge is what excites me and excites our players. And when you go and play against those teams, you know you're playing against some of the best players in the world. I mean, a lot of those players will go on and play in the WNBA and play on the Olympic team. And that's an experience for some of those players that they'll never forget and the toughest challenge they'll face in their collegiate career. But I've had a lot of great memories so far in my first 10 years here and 
I fully expect that we'll get some better ones coming in the next 10. Were, were you aware when you were appointed the, the head coach that it was such a, I guess, historic appointment um, in terms of becoming the first international to, to land that sort of role? No, not at all. I'd, I really didn't even think about it. It was kind of like when I got it, some pe- like I don't even know who the people were. I was getting phone calls from people and they were saying to me, can we interview you, you know, you're the first international head coach. And I was like, what? I didn't, I really didn't have a clue. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't a thing for me. It was like, I'm trying to process that I'm now a head coach at the division one level. I have to start getting through my plan of my first hundred days, you know, like I had a plan and what I wanted to do and, you know, and and then I'm getting all these phone calls and I'm thinking, what is going on? You know, and ironically, I was at the final four, I think the year after or, or two years after I was appointed, a beat writer from Connecticut caught me outside the convention center and he said, I've been looking for you all over. Can I do a quick interview with you? And I was like, sure. Couldn't really understand why he was looking for me, but I guess there'd been a conversation about, you know, me being the first international coach and Gino had made a, a kind of, you know, funny statement about how he was actually born in Italy. So technically he was the first international head coach. So they made me kind of like do a challenge to Gino, you know, to like a, hey, I'm the first head coach from overseas kind of deal, kind of goofy, but, you know, it was fun. And and ironically, uh, Ben, who I worked with here at HBU, is now on the UConn staff. And so I still joke with him about it, that I'm, I'm the first one and Gino's not because he doesn't count. He never coached a game, you know, until he got to the States. So, but yeah, I didn't, I really had no idea. I had no idea. And it, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter, except for the fact that I do think it's important that people see it as possible. I want those coaches to understand that, yeah, you can come over here and you can get an opportunity. It may be different from the path that I had to take. Um, it may be more difficult now at the moment with immigration, but it is possible. And I think that's the thing that I take from it is that, you know, the same way that, you know, you look at players and from the UK that have gone and played in the NBA or Joe Liedem is such a great example for female basketball players. You know, I, I think that same way is it's showing people that they can do it. And it's showing young kids in the UK that if you set your mind to it, you can do it. But at the time, it wasn't even on my radar at all. I just, you know, it happened. And I'm just very grateful that I was given the opportunity. Is it is it nice or strange when you see articles about yourself in things like ESPN and things like that, uh, that I imagine are probably a million miles away from, from the early days of getting involved in coaching? It's surreal, really. I mean, it's, it's so strange. I guess I'm probably trying to figure out how to describe this. Maybe I'm a lot quieter than a lot of coaches are. You know, I'm not that kind of in-your-face, big personality. And so sometimes cringe thinking, why are they they interested? Like, you know, I, I don't like this kind of thing. But at the same time, it's nice because I do want people to understand that I was given so many opportunities in Scotland and people for many, many years were like, what is Scottish basketball? There's, you know, there's no talent there. It was kind of like seen as, you know, nothing good is coming out of there. And we've had players and other coaches who have gone on to do some really good things. And I think as it is with the players that play overseas and, you know, go to Europe, do some good things, the same way as coaches, 
it, it is a great advertisement for what, the good things that come out of Scottish basketball. And it goes back to those clubs, those people that are volunteering their time. Because without them, none of us would have the opportunities that we've had. And I mean, I know it's the same in England also, but, you know, I mean, all those people who are, are giving up their own time to help young kids put a ball in their hand and start their pathway. I mean, it's just, it's so unselfish because what they're doing is giving them an opportunity. And it may be that they're not the person that ultimately leads them to their dream job or their, their dream playing position, but getting kids started with a ball in their hand is just, you know, it's so special. And everything that I've done goes back to that, that moment that Ronnie Hamilton said to me, get your butt to the PE department and try it for the basketball team. You know, you know, I don't ever forget that. And, um, I think there's a lot of people in the UK that have had opportunities because of the people on the on the ground at the club level and basketball development level um, that just provides so much for so many people. And, you know, I, I hope that everybody that has had opportunities remembers that. I guess my next question has two parts. Do you think that there's been a development of the British game, uh, I guess specifically the British women's game, uh, since you got involved in the sport? You know, I've kept an eye on what's kind of been happening, obviously, since I lived over here. And obviously, for me, a highlight was seeing the team in London, and, and particularly because, obviously, Rose played in that team. But it, it's been disappointing for me, the lack of support that they've had financially, obviously. I think there's been some really good moves. I think from a coaching standpoint, they've they've made a great decision recently. And, you know, I think they've obviously done very well the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I go back to the, the, the type of group that you have and that group of girls, their chemistry is obvious, but they have leadership. And I think Joe, Joe Liedem is an incredible leader on and off the floor. I mean, I remember watching a post-game interview with her. Her passion for the game is incredible you know like she plays the game because she loves it and representing her country means so much to her and when you have that genuine passion people round about you want to play with you and so that leadership she has is special obviously players kind of move to the end of their career and I'm glad that she's going to be involved with coaching underage uh, national teams now I, I just hope that there's a move to you know help fund and continue a program that there can be some hope of playing at the highest level because that carrot for players is so important you know there's so many great role models I mean Tammy is you know just an incredible uh, athlete and, and could be could take over from Joe in a leadership uh, role for sure. But I think there has to be some additional funding and support in order to have that program move forward. And it breaks my heart when I see the, the lack of opportunities that they're, they're going to have. And, and that really impacts those nine, 10 year olds who are picking up a ball for the first time. They need that. They need to see those role models and they need to see them competing at the highest level they can. And if they don't see that, then we may lose them to other sports. And that really is worrying. I had this moment during the season when it hit me, like who it was that kind of got me to really realize basketball was what I wanted to do. And when I was growing up, I used to watch the MIM teams play and I was lucky enough to and go to Meadowbank Stadium and, and watch some incredible battles. And I remember watching Bobby Archibald and he was just the toughest guy 
you know, rebounded the ball so well. And I, and I think the biggest thing that struck me was that he was all about his team. And the same way that Joe is all about the GB team and her passion is for her team, that was how Bobby was, you know. And like as a kid watching that, I was so struck by, you know, his presence and what he meant to his team. And if someone picked on one of his teammates, well, <laughs> that's their fault. <laughs> they were pretty stupid for doing that. But, you know, he, he was kind of, to me at that time, the reason I was like, wow, I want to be like him. Like I want to play and be that person on the team. And, and, and I think it's important from a GB women's perspective that we have a team that's visible that kids can look at and say, I want to be like her. You know, like, I want to be like Carly. I want to be like Tammy. You know, I want to be like Joe. Those people are important and playing at the highest level where they're visible is important. And I hope that going forward, there's a way that the women's and the men's team can get the support that they need. The second part of of my question was looking at, I guess, women's basketball as a whole. Do you think that that's developed uh, since you first got involved? I think when you were first coming through as a player, it was kind of the, the start of the WNBA. Uh, and obviously you've been involved in, in both kind of the, the coaching side of the UK and in uh, the States as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the game has changed. I've been, you know, like I say, here for 10 years and the game has changed here since I've been here. I think when they changed the physicality rules here, protected the offensive player more as the game the game changed significantly and th- and that was done you know to kind of make the game more attractive to spectators and increase scoring etc and i think you know there's been <laughs> pros and cons for that but i think the women's game has evolved tremendously over the last 10 years and particularly from an athletic standpoint i mean obviously now there are girls who are dunking the ball and we have i would say a higher level of athlete playing the game but you know, the WNBA particularly, you know, had become more, much more visible. And during this time, obviously, there was an opportunity for the women's game to have a higher profile and to have the WNBA draft on during the lockdown meant that more people had access to watch it or knew, knew about it. And I think, like, taking those moments and trying to encourage people to be cognizant of women's basketball is really important. But... Yeah, I think the game has developed for sure, but I think more so athletically. I think one thing that we see from my perspective in recruiting 17, 18-year-olds coming in uh, to college is that perhaps they are more athletic and physically more ready, but we kind of see that the IQ part is not always there. And I think that could be a shift in what's being taught. But, you know, one of our major gripes as coaches, and I'm, I'm not just speaking for myself, but from every college coach that I speak with, is that court vision and passing ability, ability to make post-entry passes and, and passing angles. And again, that's, you know, the game has changed so much, but when you get to the college level, you obviously have to be able to contribute in every aspect of the game. And I think, you know, so I, I would say the IQ level of players that we're getting is lower than, than it was um, 10 years ago, but athletically, obviously, they're much better. And, and I think that has improved the quality of game on TV for people, which is why numbers of WNBA games have, have risen. And, you know, we as college coaches now are having to teach more fundamentals than we normally would coming in. And that's just, you know, part of how this game has changed. What do you think have been your key achievements or key achievement in your career? What do you think has been kind of the, the, the peak of your career? 
I mean, I think obviously getting this job is, was it something I planned? No, (laughs) it is something that I'm proud of because I know in talking with so many people who want to come over here, how hard it is to get this position. And I'm extremely grateful for it every day. And, And I know that I have the support of our athletic director and our president. And that means so much to me because this business is is tough and you have to tick the boxes that your president and your athletic director want and I remember the discussion I had with our AD when I took over this role I'm lucky that I'm in a place that yeah obviously you know winning is important but there's also a realization of where we're at what we have and the kind of people that they want coming through their program. And I like the message that HBU wants to put across to their players and to their students and that they want to send well-rounded people out into the world once they graduate here after four years. And so I feel, I feel like this is probably the place I'm supposed to be. And it's probably, well, it is probably the, <laughs> the biggest achievement of my career so far. We're obviously in the the age of the coronavirus. What are you up to at the moment and how have things been impacted? Yeah, it's it's definitely difficult. I mean, we had up until... I think the middle of March, we had like five or six of our international girls on campus and they were determined they were going to stay here because they could work out. And, you know, and then things, things in the space of four or five days really changed very quickly. And we started hearing that they wouldn't be able to get back home if they didn't leave immediately. And, you know, there was a lot of kind of rushed decisions and we ended up getting them all home and only one of our international players stayed and she ended up going with a teammate in Austin. So I have no players on campus at the moment. And that's been very strange because, you know, normally I have them, you know, walking by my office every day or coming in and telling me their tales of the day. And and at this point in time, we normally would be able to be on court with them for eight hours a week, four on the court and four in the weight room. But, you know, we would be around them a lot more. And so it's very strange not having them, you know, visible to us daily. At the same time, you know, I've, I've looked at this as, a real positive for me personally and and as a coach because I think when you're in something so much and you're every day it's what you think about and you're you can't step back from it at all because it's just non-stop this has been a really good time for me to reflect and really review so I've kind of taken it as a positive and tried to look at what we've been doing what works what doesn't work on the court think about some things that maybe I can go back to. I feel like circumstances and personnel had kind of forced me to go away from what I really truly believe because in the back of my head, I'm very much always conscious of the fact that you have to, as a coach, you should run what suits your personnel. And, you know, there's some things that I need to get back to. And so it's been really good for me to reflect and review, but um, it's also been great for me from a recruiting standpoint, because when the girls are around, I don't get as much time to be on the phones, you know, and connecting with people. And I've talked with more club coaches and high school coaches and program organizers than I ever do at this time because I've had more time to do it and you know I've had a lot of younger players that have reached out that are calling me you know every week and and catching up and learning about our program and so I I feel like I've actually had time to do things that normally I don't have the time to do which has been really good for me and I think also just 
it feels like a little bit of a break. I mean, as coaches, we typically don't get a real break from the game. And so although I've been on the phones every day and I've been, you know, watching film and, you know, planning for, for this season, it does feel like I've actually been able to kind of slow down a little bit, which never happens. I'm just ready to get back to the office and we're going to be back from June 1st, which I can't wait for, and get the girls back on campus. Some of them will be back in July. They'll all be back in August and and get going because now we're at the stage now where I'm ready to kind of start putting some of these things that I've been thinking about into effect. And so I just want to get everybody back and get going again. At the end of every podcast, I ask people to select their all-time five that they've either played or coached with. Is that something that you would be able to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, I probably would, you know, think about coaches because obviously for me, I haven't played in a very long time now. (laughs) You know, I definitely, I would put Bobby Archibald in there as a player because I have to, because he was the the one player that just for me typified how, how I wanted to play. And, you know, that toughness that he was known for I wanted my players who were playing for me to to play like that and be tough and to put everything out there so he definitely would be in there I got to say Dave Patterson who I mentioned previously Dave also played internationally but you know him toughening me up as a a 15 year old when he got his hands on me uh, definitely helped me and you know I still stay in touch with Dave and you know when I go home I try to meet up with him and he you know he had a big impact on me and and I learned a lot as a coach from him like I still joke with him that there's some things that I teach that I got from him and you know so he had a big impact on me uh, Ian Gordon is a great mentor to me and I you know I talked to Ian a couple of weeks ago and you know obviously he was a great figure in the game as a coach and in his later years of coaching was involved coaching with the youth national teams as well and you know, we coached around about the same time uh, when I had the 18s and he had the 16s. And it was great having his ear and it's still great having his ear. And, and it's been very valuable to me as a coach over here, having him on the end of the phone because he's supported me and helped me with some decisions that I've had to make. And having his experience has been invaluable to me. So those three for sure, I got to say, I probably wouldn't have been able to make it through some of my national team trips without my assistant coach Jennifer McLaren because you know I ironically coached her for I think maybe one one year and when I was first started to coach and then uh, played with her as well hated playing against her because she had the sharpest elbows I've ever come across you know then she kind of got involved with me in the national teams and you know we just worked so well together one of the most passionate people about basketball gave everything she had to her players was so so invaluable to me you know as a coach and so she definitely would have to go in there and then probably the last one has to be Becca my current assistant coach I mean um, as a player I loved coaching her but I think, you know, she has had a great career as a player, but I see her being an incredible coach too. And I think Becca has a great basketball mind. She always tells me she doesn't want to be a head coach, (laughs) that she's happy being my assistant coach, but I believe that she could be a great head coach. I mean, she understands the game so well. She, she thinks very similarly to me, which helps, but there are some times that she also makes suggestions that, you know, things I miss and that's important. And she is not afraid to say her piece and she's, uh, she's really developing into 
someone who could have a great career in coaching and you know I, I respect Becca a lot and over the last few years you know she's really really grown into someone that I think has a, a very special career ahead of her so I would put her in there as well. That was our interview with Donna Finney, the current head coach of Houston Baptist University's women's basketball team. Uh, We do have a few more podcasts coming up. Hopefully we'll be speaking to Sterling Davis, the former Glasgow Rocks coach, as well as others as well. So if you want to follow us on Twitter at BB underscore UK Hub or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or we're on Google Podcasts as well. And give us a nice little review to boost us up the ratings. 